Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's going on, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. And this week, we have a very special Keyforge friend with us. And we have Michael Hurley from Ghost Galaxy joining Sydney and I to have a discussion. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show again. Yes, it's uh, it's our absolute pleasure, and it's so fantastic to have you here, especially after all the the amazing information that's been bestowed upon us, Archons, just going over a lot of things we can expect in the coming year. And of course, I think the thing that people are most excited about, potentially, I mean, I think Sydney and I are, is <laughs> having the TRG update with all these great things to it. And of course, within that is the restricted list. So um just with that, I think let's let's spend this episode talking about that because I think that's going to be just a a wealth of knowledge and and brain dissection on your part, so we can uh, fully understand what went into such a, a great great changes. Actually, to be honest, I, I was very happy with with all the stuff here. I don't know about you, Sydney. Oh my gosh, absolutely! I, I seeing all of this. It's another way for me to enjoy the feeling of going to tournaments. Like I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. Like you don't even know the fact that this is updated. We have all this information. I feel like the the adrenaline is already pumping again. Like I'm excited to go be playing KeyForge in person. Yes, indeed. All right, sounds good. Okay, so what we thought we'd do, Michael, is we'll actually just kind of kick things off by by you. You so elegantly decided to put all the changes in the TRG in red so we could easily find what is different, which I absolutely love. So I don't have to necessarily read the whole thing to <laughs> get to the parts and and hone in on on the juicy new details. So um, Sydney and I decided we'll, we'll just kind of go from those red parts and kind of have a little discussion back and forth uh, when, with those. Awesome. So I guess the, the first thing, and it's it's an easy one. This is a softball. So the, the first one on the list is the final match is played in best of three series, which e- with each game lasting 45 minutes. So it used to be untimed. What is the reasoning behind giving a time limit to the final match? Well, I think anybody that was following what happened at the Seattle Vault Tour will know that that final <laughs> match went on really long. And a little bit. Really long and... At one point, it threatened to reach this stalemate situation where it was like a lot of people were, were saying, like, what if like what if nobody can win? How is that possible? Can you can you give us some details? So there was a lot of I go on check and then the opponent takes you off check. And that just kept happening back and forth with. But nobody was having a breakthrough moment. Gotcha. Nobody could just through the nature of the decks that they that they were running. Nobody could push high enough to basically ensure that they wouldn't be able to be taken out of check. Gotcha. There, there was this moment kind of like in the, the final third of the game where things just stopped happening. That makes sense. Now, eventually somebody did kind of break through and like was able to get just enough amber so that they could finally forge the third game. But it was a really, really long game. Oh my gosh. So we kind of went went back and started asking ourselves and the judges were asking us, you know, like giving us their thoughts. And we were basically just re-asked ourselves the question, like, why, why do we feel like the final match needs to be untimed? Why not just make it the same as all the other matches in the tournament? And that was, um, that was honestly like the question that some people like kept asking over and over again. Why, why should the final match be treated differently? And the only answer that I could really give was just that I didn't like the idea of a major tournament being decided on a tiebreak. That makes sense. I thought it was very anticlimactic to have like the final table go to time and then the entire tournament decided by some kind of math equation. Yeah, that's what feels bad. I know it's, it's, it is different though in the sense that it's not the whole finals is 45 minutes like the other ones it's each of the best of three games is 45 minutes is that correct so it is technically longer than than the normal it is yes okay just to clarify that that also gives a great opportunity for the event organizer to plan especially if you're going to have like closing ceremonies afterwards like you can have like a maximum amount of time that that's going to take exactly and that was we ran into that problem at a few different events in 2023 where it was just it was like nobody knew when we were going to be done Right. And as a, as an employee, that's that's not a fun feeling, I, I can. 
Yeah, and and also, you know, like people have travel plans on the final day too. Good point. So, I mean, like by imposing this time limit, we can definitely say like the latest it will go will be X. You know, it might be done earlier, but it won't be any later. Than. Awesome. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but the the next one on the list is actually super interesting to me, and I, I really want to hear you you elaborate on the exceptions to official formats because mm-hmm. in this section it says event organizers may contact Ghost Galaxy prior to the start of their events to request exceptions to these rules based on local circumstances. And I'm I'm thinking like can can high level play like primes or store champs or whatever people are are hosting be other formats like adaptive or or reversal or like i don't know crazy things like shredder like what what is that exception supposed to mean so the answer is no like if somebody (laughs) if somebody asks us to be able to like say like they want to introduce a whole new format or a whole new game variant to use for their vault tour or their national championship we will say no can't do that (laughs) but there are other things that are difficult to anticipate. A lot of it comes down to, say, product availability. Oh, that makes sense. So, like, for example, this, the store championships are fairly early in the year, right about the same time that Grim Reminders is releasing. Sure. Into retail stores. So that could create some scheduling difficulties where maybe a store wants to run their store championship, but they don't have their, their Grim Reminders shipment yet. And they're saying, I don't know, like, what if my Grim Reminder shipment, like, doesn't get here until, like, the first day of the tournament? Can my players use Grim Reminders? You know, and so, like, normally we would say that Grim Reminders needs to be generally available to a player base for a couple of weeks. Sure. Before we consider it to be, like, fair for it to be legal in the tournament. So this additional rule where event organizers can contact us with questions about those kinds of local circumstances like that's what it's for is to have that kind of conversation that's incredibly considerate i really appreciate mm-hmm. that i didn't even think of that from that perspective yeah we saw an example of this with the french national championship uh, oh. last year where they scheduled their event and at the time that they scheduled it, they french wins exchange was not in france yet oh no and so there was a lot of uncertainty about like when is it going to come like people who backed a campaign had decks. Oh, gotcha. But people who did not back the campaign in France didn't have any new new stuff. Um, so there was this question of like, so should Winds of Exchange be legal at the French National Championship or not? You know, mm-hmm. and, and when are we going to get the product? And you know, these questions can be difficult uh, to anticipate ahead of time. So, and these sorts of things are bound to happen again in the future. Yeah, so. it's a. Good idea to to hedge against that by adding something to the TRG. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Sydney, where where you, it's because it's right under official formats, so you think formats, but it's actually in regards to product to play said formats that exist. Right. Right. And so, you know, skipping ahead a little bit, there are some new rules under sealed that relate to specific product sets. Oh my gosh! So yes, this is what we're most excited about. I think Sydney and I, because up to three sealed keyforge decks is the the main thing that that phrase up to three which i think is is very thoughtful on many different levels so the it says the event organizer determines which keyforge set from amongst the two most recently released sets will be used for the tournament and then and then each player decides how many sealed decks one two or three from the set they will use to create the alliance so there is no onerous to have to purchase three you can choose to play single sealed without using it in an alliance way or you can use just two and see what you can get or you can do three that's that's basically what you've created is the the agency of the player to decide how much money they want to spend in that given moment yeah and the up to three thing was a that was just trying to um, not shut somebody out because they they just didn't have the money to to buy three sealed decks on top of all of their other expenses for attending Right. And but you guys like Blake, you so casually like read over the part of the the document that I'm like sitting here super excited to ask Michael about. So the two most recently released sets, we're talking set rotation here. So Michael, like tell us what what is the thought process behind that? So to be clear, the two most recent set thing is only for sealed. Oh, okay, cool, cool. It's not set rotation in in the sense of like people who are playing Archon or Great Alliance. That's still any set. Cool. So there's no restrictions on that. 
Um, but the seal play, we thought it made sense to focus on the new stuff. And this is a very common thing that you see in most trading card games. Totally. That runs sealed. It's like the focus is usually on the recent stuff because that's usually the product that is the most readily available. Now, again, event organizers can request an exception to that. If we get late in 2024, for example, so then the two most recent sets are Amber Skies and Grim Reminders. Oh, yeah. But maybe a particular event runner, maybe they don't have Amber Skies yet, but they do have a bunch of Winds of Exchange still. So then I think it would be reasonable for them to write to us and say, like, for my event, can it be Winds of Exchange and Reminders? And, you know, like our answer would probably be like, well, if you don't have Amber Skies, then yes, go ahead and make Winds of Exchange the other set. That makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. We still want event organizers to choose one set for the event to focus on. Oh, okay. Because we think that that will create the best experience. Gotcha. Um, but again, they can if somebody has a, a good reason for why they think that using two sets simultaneously in the same event would work, they can ask us about it and make their case. So just to be clear, the fact that this is just for seal has this like idea crept into your mind for other formats, or are you are you guys sticking to seal? We have no plans to do gotcha. any kind of set rotation for the other formats yet. Cool. But we do want more retailers to carry Keyforge. Absolutely. I'd agree there. And, yeah. we want those, and we want those retailers to run events, including sealed events. So those retailers are only going to have the new product. I see where you're going with this. Yeah, totally. So it just becomes a, a, another way to just keep the focus on the new release. And is there a plan to have more product readily available to retailers? Because right, I know right now, I think it's might be still in the infancy stage of getting that infrastructure fully in place. But like, for example, my local store can't really get product right now. So we're not able to play any of the, the new set in in sealed stuff. Is, is that going to, is there like an infrastructure being set up so that there'll be more widely available product? So yes, we're working on some things. So you, um, so like you're in Canada, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, it becomes, a, it, it's just one of the difficulties where, um, you know, like Ghost Galaxy sells to Lion Rampant, Asbodei Canada, and those distributors in turn sell to the Canadian retailers. Uh, so it is, uh, it's difficult for us to put product directly in the hands of players. We can sell to individual consumers, but um, selling to retailers is something that really, is, really has to go through distribution channels. So there is so that's part of the reason why you're experiencing what you're experiencing is that we uh, we don't have full control over how much product enters Canada. Uh, they they have to request it from you. It's not just right. It's so the Canadian distributors have to buy the product from us and then and resell it to. Us. That's just the nature of how you know the game distribution works, and that's not a problem that's limited only to Canada. I mean, every country has similar issues. The U.S. has you know has similar issues. Just some distributors go deeper on uh, on product than others. Got it. Okay, good to know. So my my last question before we like dive deep into the like most important, most exciting part of this is so all the the document changes were in red, but anything anything you deleted, we wouldn't necessarily be able to like identify right away. Is there anything that you might have gotten rid of that you want to point out to us? Uh, I don't think so. I always seem to find a, a typo here and there that I just, <laughs> that I just fix and I don't call attention to those sorts of things. Totally. But no, I don't. Um, Pretty sure I didn't delete anything that people are going to miss. Okay, cool. Good to know. All right, Blake, I'm going to I'm gonna let you start you, this one off. You want me to start this one? You got mm, this. All right. So obviously, as Sydney and I spent almost all of 2023 playing Alliance in some way, um, the restricted list is something we have been just waiting for on bated breath, one might say, <laughs> because we wanted to know what builds are suddenly going to no longer be valid? What are we going to be able to look to do? What's going to change? What are we going to see rise up? Like there is, I think, the most speculation in this part of the article, and that is, of course, the Alliance restricted list. And here you um, also gave a nice breakdown in the accompanying article for decisions, which was fantastic. Like that is that is really thoughtful to not just release a list and do that because I don't think there was anything quite like that in the first iteration of it. But this one, um, like actually explaining the process you went through and 
for those who were too, I guess, impatient to to go through the article and get your thought process, can you just kind of do a quick little Coles note summary of what you said in that article so all your listeners know what what was kind of said for the most part? Sure. So first of all, I think it's important to say that it is our belief that Alliance is a fun format, but it's only fun when it has some limitations imposed on. Couldn't agree more. Yes. A completely unrestricted Alliance format, I do not think would be fun. Uh, I, I think it would just quickly become this very tiresome, tedious, degenerate kind of thing with incredibly long game turns. Or the opposite, done in like four turns. Right, I- exactly. So it, it needs some limitation. So the, most, the first and most important limitation is each Alliance build has to come only from a single set. Mm-hmm. That alone solves some problems. But um, Keyforge decks, when they're generated, they follow a set of complex rules um, that determine how the uh, how the cards can go together. And there's a bunch, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that's behind the scenes where where we limit certain cards to certain quantities, or we prevent certain combinations from occurring, or we force certain other combinations, you know, to occur. And so there's a bunch of stuff like that that goes into the normal deck generation process. And Alliance kind of creates an opportunity to mess up um, all of those rules. And that is part of the fun of Alliance. You bet it is. Um, but at the same time, it, it can also create some stuff that, that was never really intended to happen uh, with a, any given card pool. Totally. Okay. So with all that being said, <laughs> um, it need, there needs to be some kind of restriction. So why the restricted list as opposed to some other kind of system? Because I have received lots of proposals about um, things like a fluid point-based system where a certain numeric value is assigned to each Keyforge card and then an alliance deck is given some larger number and and um, that you know that is used to determine what you can put in the deck and what you can't put in a deck. And these are some very creative, interesting ideas and they have some definite merits to them. But I also think that those systems are pretty complex and would be very difficult to put together and maintain and it would almost certainly require some kind of software good point for, mm. both, for both players and judges oh uh, yeah because right. if you can imagine like the judges have to make sure that all alliance decks are legal at every event right exactly um and so it's just we I didn't want to try to impose a system like that without some kind of supporting software. And we frankly just don't have the resources at this time to develop that kind of tool. So maybe it's something that we will revisit in the future. But for now, I think the, the restricted list is a, is a fairly simple solution to this problem. It's pretty easy to explain. The list isn't all that long, uh, especially when you consider... You know, like most of the cards only appear in a few sets. Um, so it's not that difficult to memorize. Is, so is there is there a, like a length that you have like decided like we don't want it to exceed this many cards? Or is it more just as need presents itself, that's what's kind of created? Yeah, it's it's kind of a gut feel thing. I, 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 I kind of decided that I didn't really want there to be more than four or five cards per set. Ooh, okay. Um, Interesting. On the list, and that was—I mean, could it could the list be longer? Yeah, it probably could be a little bit longer. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I felt like nah, uh, we don't need to restrict yeah, anything. I just, else. I, I, just I, I, <laughs> you know, I I always look at these things from the perspective of event organizers and judges um, because that's how I participate in these events. Totally. You know, so it's you know so those people have to hold the entire list in their head. Right. Um, you know, like if you're doing a spontaneous deck check, you know, with somebody, it's like, it's like, you've got to. Oh my gosh. Good point. I didn't even think about that. It isn't just like before you start, when you're making sure that like all the sleeves are right and all the cards are there, the spontaneous deck checks are specifically to make sure someone hasn't added a card that shouldn't be there or, you know, something like that. So they do literally have to know it off the top of their head. Right. Yeah. And you don't want that process to take, 10 minutes sure uh, because it's disrupting the start of the entire round 
you know, so it has to be something that can be done, you know, quickly and effectively because it has to feel like it has meaning. Right. Um, You know, and it's just so that, you know, so I try to keep the list short. Um, I also don't want to affect um, more pods than are necessary. Ooh. What do you mean by that? Yes, that's something that I find interesting, too, because when when we were having our our, our little pregame discussion just to get ourselves acclimated before we went into this, you you mentioned that, how you actually took a look at how many pods would be impacted by a decision that made you like switch to, okay, we're going to use this card instead as a result. So, um, yeah, so we looked at, um, we looked at all the data that we had in play style from all the major events in 2023. And we put together some numbers based on like every Alliance deck that occurred at those tournaments, which is hundreds and hundreds. Oh my uh, God. That's so cool. Um, but then I think also almost more importantly, um, we came up with this shorter list that was what I called top performing decks. So I looked at the decks that placed first, second, third, and fourth at events. Okay. And there were some very small events um, that happened um, at like some of the, some of the national championships had a very low uh, alliance. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, player count. And so for those very small events, I only looked at the top two and then for the uh, Alliance World Championship and the Alliance Open at Keyforce Celebration, I looked at top eight. So after all of that, um, I had a total of 80 different Alliance decks that would be considered, you know, like top finishing decks for 20. Whoa. So then I took a, an even deeper dive into those decks with the help of Luke Olson and some other people. And we just started finding, uh, like identifying, you know, like what were people using in these decks? Um, sure. And... Um, and then considering asking ourselves some what if questions. Um, and this kind of gets back into like, what is the Alliance restricted list even for? So since Keyforge does not have set rotation, um, I think the, there is a, a danger of the competitive scene stagnating. Sure. Um, where it's, you know, you just see the same stuff over and over again. And there's, right. there's, there's very little that is keeping, things fresh and, and interesting um so that's so i think that's a big part of what the restricted list needs to do is i, I want to i want to force people to reconsider um some of their choices and to without necessarily like completely banning any one particular strategy or card combination <laughs> i'll you know if somebody is trying to do something that is like well, I should say if a whole bunch of people are basically trying to do the same thing. Right. I want to right. take a look at that deck type and say, how can we impose some additional choices onto these decks to force a little bit of extra creativity um, and a little bit of extra variety into this deck type so that it's not just literally like the same thing over and over again. Yeah, like um, I see on the the list here, starting to to dive into the the meat of the cards. There is only one card on the whole list whose one of the two columns were affected. Not both. It wasn't added fully. It wasn't removed. But Martian generosity went down yes. to one per deck. Yes, and I'd I'd have to say that um, I love that decision. So th- that was the one thing for me as a alliance player last year is I did not enjoy playing against Martian generosity decks. And it was, and to be clear, it was actually when there was two Martian generosities in the deck when, so this was like, I think the most perfect and elegant change because of that. And I also think that there is a reason people playing woe you saw unfathomable exist. So predominantly in woe was actually a direct response to trying to combat martian generosity yeah we had a whole episode where some of the more powerful hand disruption cards like abyssal sight or catch and release were super important in the meta that included two martian generosities in a deck yeah and so an interesting thing that i that i found was that i was honestly a little surprised when i looked at these 80 top performing decks i really did tell i was i was honestly surprised at how prevalent the fuddle was Ooh, compared okay. to abyssal site oh good point that's a great well, point because befuddle you know, does the same thing it's, it's going to say you can't play martian cards it actually does restrict and it gives you that extra turn to move forward I think, 
Also, yeah, befuddle, I, two befuddles make a lockout, whereas Abyssal yeah. Sight may be an incredible tool, and in my opinion, a better tool. Two befuddles make a lockout. So also, decks with multiple befuddles in a pod make yeah. sense in high-level play. Right. In, yeah, and I I get that. Um, I think uh, I think comparing just the two cards in a vacuum, I think Abyssal Sight is a better card. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if Abyssal, Hot take. <laughs> a befuddle, <laughs> it, it, it can be difficult to play befuddle correctly. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Whereas Especially I, when you include all of the other house choice cards in Unfathomable. I think it's like a fantastic puzzle when you have multiple things are, which houses are you going to pick based on what you want them to play or based on what you don't want them to play and what rewards you get for picking those houses. Right. Whereas I think, I think Abyssal Sight is just, I think Abyssal Sight always pays off. Oh, for sure. Um, it's like you always get benefit out of playing Abyssal Sight. Whereas you're not guaranteed to get the payoff that you are looking for when you play one befuddle. So one direction I kind of want to nudge this conversation is in is adding something to this list isn't really a death knell for a card. It's it's kind of like the combination of cards on this list or the quantity allowed of those cards. So yeah. when you were thinking of the the cards that you added to this list, was there a, a combination of them that you considered? Like befuddle in and of itself, you seeing a lot of befuddles in the in the data, adding it to this list doesn't necessarily right off the bat make those exact decks something people can't play. They must also have in those decks something else on this list for them to rethink what they want to play. Right, and that kind of gets into the whole reason why Befuddle's on the list in the first place, is that Befuddle was the single most popular Winds of Exchange card in in Alliance. It was like, you looked at all Alliance decks that were Winds of Exchange decks. The card that appeared most often was Befuddle. Okay, cool. Good to know. Fun fact. Um, which, yeah, and so it, it made it seem like, as I say in the, in the article, it seemed like people's approach to Winds of Exchange Alliance was, first I'm going to decide what I want to do, then I'm going to add the fuck. <laughs> I exactly. mean, you're not wrong. I, I not, not to that degree, but when I built my Alliance deck that I played in, in Vegas, it was literally, this is what I want to do. Now I need to add an unfathomable pod to add the disruption to, to try and combat the other things that exist out there. But that's, that's what it was. I knew I was going to have unfathomable. I just need to figure out what, and the truth is the unfathomable really didn't have to pair with the other two pods. It just needed to be the answer to the questions that are going to come my way. Exactly. And that, and to me, that's exactly the reason why it makes sense to restrict the fuddle because now you have to give up something. Absolutely. If you're going to go in the direction of anything else on this list, you can't just add unfathomable. And and to be clear, Michael, you are correct in that statement because now I have to rethink my whole alliance deck for next year because (laughs) my ghost form and befuddle can no longer be together. Okay. So thank you for that. Cough, cough. So another another point to this list is I, I'm I'm seeing things that have been added that together aren't necessarily crazy, like Legionary Trainer and Befuddle or Halifast and FOF. But what I'm I'm kind of seeing, or at least what I'm taking away from this is instead of adding scholar, Legionary Trainer and Befuddle are there so that you have to rethink a scholar strategy. Or instead of adding Berserker, Halifast and FOF are there. So you'd have to rethink an FOF Berserker strategy. What what did why aren't why did you consider adding tokens to this list? Or was that something you didn't want to touch? Yeah, that's a question I had as well. We we discussed it. And and when I say we, you know, it was like myself and Luke and G and Marcus are our are two most common judges. It was the four of us are discussing this stuff every day uh, over over Discord. Oh man, and, that sounds awesome. And uh, none of us really liked the idea of restricting a token creature um, because I mean, there's a few reasons. If you look at the which token creatures the Alliance decks were using, there's mm-hmm. actually a lot of variety. Really? Okay. Yeah, so Scholar was definitely popular, 
but it wasn't so popular that it was like, you know, that it was like the dominant choice. Ooh, okay. Um, Berserker would appear just as often mm-hmm. as, uh, as Scholar did. Um, but again, like neither one of those were, um, were, were super dominant. There was plenty of other variety. Um, you know, several different Mars tokens were used. Researcher was used several times. Grunt sure. was used. Um, you occasionally saw a, a Sanctum. Ooh. You, 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 you know, you saw there was a there's a particular duct type that used cleric in an interesting <laughs> way. Um, and uh, and defender, I think it was that, that's a rare token choice, but it's defender is better than uh, than I think some people give it credit for that one armor. Agreed. Yeah, um, does a ton of work for you. Totally. Uh, so I think people should take another look at at Defender as a token. Michael, calling it now, <laughs> Defender is going to be the token that uh, win, wins like high-level events this year. <laughs> I also think that Skirmisher uh, is, deserves a little bit more attention. Really? Yeah, it's uh, I mean, uh, it's a two-power creature that can reap, and it has Skirmish. Oh, so it's yeah. Really, so it's, I mean, so you, obviously you can reap with it, and it's also really good at killing other little things because of that Skirmish. Good point. Uh, so, I've I've always you know whenever I've used skirmisher as my token creature, it's like I've always gotten some good use. So I think people should look at that one some more too. And grunt is 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 really three power seems to be like kind of like the magic number, which is also why it's like defender and grunt are are very similar. Sure. You know, and that they're both they can survive a lot. And Mars also has so many like insular powers where the number of Mars creatures on the board matter. So if you can spam grunts, it just enhances all of those cards. Right. Yeah. So, so anyway, back to like researching token creatures is like, well, I mean, we saw a lot of variety. There wasn't any one particular token creature that was just, that was just screaming out to be restricted. Okay. Not, not compared to things like Befuddle and, like FOF Transponder, for example, it's like yeah. Tell us more about FOF Transponder once you're done talking about tokens. Sure. So FOF Transponder um, is a really strong Star Alliance card. It is especially strong when paired with Berserker that enters play. Right. right. That's so a board put, clear right there. Right. You put you put Transponder on a Berserker, and you basically can just continue making as many Berserkers as you want as long as you have a deck. Or into, as long as you're fighting into things that power or higher, right? It, it, yeah, it's um, it, it's uh, it's it's really strong. Um, incidentally, it's a great way to uh, defeat a lot of the keyboard adventures. <laughs> with, uh, Whoa! Hot tip. Berserker with Epo Transponder uh, is very effective. Oh my gosh! Next speed run, you better believe it. Right. Um, so. Again, like FO Transformer by itself is not really uh, a huge issue, but it's like I think every every deck that I looked at that was using FO Transponder was also using Befuddle, mm. um, and sometimes also Legionary Trainer. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's just kind of breaking those up a little bit, forcing people to make some choices. That makes sense. Yeah. Now you mentioned Legionary Trainer. And I've noticed a pattern on here. So there seems to be two things that exist under quantity. There's any number, and then there's one per deck. Yep. And in specifically two Legionary Trainer, how come there wasn't a restriction on the number? And obviously one is not a fair number. People, it it limits it. But like, for example, two. What, What was the decision to not put a number on Legionary Trainer? Because what it does, I think, uh, and that people are like when going against it is it's the people playing times for legionary trainer decks. Cause then your consistency of always having a legionary trainer becomes much easier. And I mean, I know this cause when I played in the Alliance mm-hmm. world championship, I had a deck that had four legionary trainers and it was <laughs> literally where, okay, I don't play all my legionary trainers. You just keep it as needed. And then the other ones are backups. So when one's gone, you have another one. And it, it felt like it was very difficult to run out of them by the time you cycle because getting the draw cards with it and everything you could get back, we yep. lost. So what is the thought process between either going one or you can have as many as? So it's a, um, so for a, Le- a card like Legionary Trainer, just adding it to the restricted list, you know, is, is 
basically with with the any number thing. That's kind of the softest way to restrict that card. Sure. Um, it's like you're still having to give up something. You're having to give up everything else on that list, but you're not, you know, you're not taking away the the power of, of having multiple copies in the deck. Um, that could be like a step two. Like if it if it turns out that this restriction on a legionary trainer is not enough to really change anything, um, and the legionary trainer becomes like the dominant wins of exchange alliance deck type. We could always go back and impose a quantity limit. Sure. On it. But, I, but I think that would be kind of like a step two. For this. And then the other I guess a follow-up to that statement is, yeah. is are you going to stick with the format where you're going to allow this to play out for a season? Or is there the possibility that there is a mid-season change if you see something early on that seems to be causing an imbalance, we'll call it? There is a possibility for a midseason. Okay. We would. So I don't want to say one way or the other that it's going gotcha. to be guaranteed. Um, you know, it's um, if we some, you know, if we see something midseason that is just completely warping the competitive meta, then I think we need to allow ourselves the opportunity to address it. Um, we won't do that lightly um, and we'll give people plenty of warning. Uh, about what's about what's coming, but I don't want to. I don't want to just like plant a flag in the ground saying this will not change for another twelve months because right, right. Um, because you, it's impossible to anticipate every scenario. And if there is something, if we discover something midsummer that is that is ruining the experience for a lot of players, I don't want to just say, well, there's nothing I can do for another six months, right? Because those people will just quit. You're not wrong. <laughs> so, uh, so we need to have the option in our back pocket to to make a make a midseason change if we think it's it's truly needed. So, the only two cards on this list that were added that were not in Winds of Exchange were Kronos and Infernus. And I I, I read the little blurbs that you wrote about um, like the the descriptions in the article about why you added them and what you saw in the data. But just from from your point of view, why was it worth adding cards from previous sets that that weren't um that weren't coming up in in the the newest set sure so we we noted before about how the photo was the most popular winds of exchange card used in alliance decks but as i mentioned in the article like the really doesn't have anything on the single most popular card across across all sets for alliance and that was infernus infernus um appeared in a huge number of decks. I believe it. And and almost always in multiple quantities. Sure. And so when, when you when you just look at like how many copies of Infernus were used in Alliance in 2023, <laughs> it is far in a way the highest number. That's so for, funny. For, for all cards. Uh, so then, so there's this question of like, okay, so now Infernus decks don't have an amazing win record interesting so there was this question of like so should we you know is there so some people are saying like well infernus decks don't really win all that much anyway so right. we don't need to do anything um but for me i think the the win performance is only one factor to consider like another factor to consider is just simply the shaking up the competitive meta a little bit and promoting more variety so i get that infernus is popular um, it's a strong card that can do things that very few other Keyforge cards can do. Absolutely. So, so it, it's it's a good card. It's an important card. Um, but I I wanted to for people that want to run that kind of deck, I wanted them to to make some kind of choice. That makes sense. Um, so that we could, you know, so that we could just again promote a little bit of creativity. Sure. Um, instead of like it's just the same, you know, it's basically just like the same mass mutation decks right. over and over and over again. Did Grim Reminders? The fact that Grim Reminders needs a big discard, uh, and it did encouragement of Alliance using Grim Reminders factor into your decision to put Infernus on here at all? Um. Not, not really. Okay. Uh, not okay. for that card. Sure. Um, there's Ooh. another card on the list that definitely got the Grim Reminders consideration. That we'll get to in a minute. Um, but I mean, we we definitely tested Grim Reminders a lot with Infernus decks. Yep. And 
um, you know, it's, I mean, Infernus does not dominate those decks. They, they can mess with Gurnermeyer's decks in a way that is, I think, healthy. Ooh. Uh, so, I, so we like that. Um, but Infernus is also, once Gurnermeyer's comes out, Infernus will not be the only game in town, too. Geistoids will be able to do plenty of discard pile disruption. It will give players it. Other, other ways to mess with people's discard piles. Without, you know, without, so Infernus will not have a monopoly on that. Sort of <laughs> oh, that's Speaking so of exciting. Speaking reminders, it's, it's interesting that, because now we're going into the next year where last year you basically had a set being Winds of Exchange, which did not appear in any way. So you had free reign to build whatever you wanted with Woe, and you know there was nothing to stop you from doing it. And now we're going into Grim Reminders, which I personally think we will see some of the most broken things exist from Grim Reminders <laughs> Alliance. I'm calling it right now. Um, is What is the, I guess, the intention? You don't know what really people are going to do, so you can't put it on here. But do you think about that with this? Like, And what is the thought process behind allowing a because this year as well we're going to have grim reminders out before we probably get into the the competitive season so there's going to be the true full length where i think last year it came like halfway through the season to a degree it's definitely thought about you know and this is um you know and this is why um like working on a game like this is very different it's a different headspace than playing um uh, the game competitively for sure um, because when you're developing new sets you're thinking ahead um, mm. like sometimes very far ahead you know so like Grim Reminders hasn't come out yet Amber Skies is still being worked on but I'm already thinking about the set after Grim after Amber Skies oh my gosh well that's good to know <laughs> um, you know so so yeah so I mean so on the one hand, I don't know what Grim Reminders is going to look like at top-level competitive play yet. I can make some guesses, but I don't know for sure. But at the same time, I'm also not really thinking very deeply about that right now because I'm more thinking about, like, how is it going to interact with Amber Skies and how is it going to interact with the with the new ideas for the set after Amber Skies? Interesting. Mm, okay. Love it. Uh, so, and so, so, I, so there is definitely some of that... To, that some of that forward thinking does show up in things like the restricted list. And, oh. but before we get to that, I just wanted to finish the Infernus thought pattern. So like I wanted to restrict Infernus, but restricting Infernus alone doesn't do anything unless right. you give players some other kind of meaningful choice. And Dark Amber Vault is not it. Dark, decks that run Dark Amber Vault don't tend to use Infernus. Interesting. I love all the data. Um, so... Dark Amber Vault is kind of its own separate deck type. Um, so there needed to be something else on the list that, that would force the Infernus players to make some kind of choice. And so the card that we settled on was Kronos. Um, a lot of Infernus decks use Kronos. Uh, usually multiple copies of Kronos, especially if they're enhanced with drop hips. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it just, it, because Kronos is such a high efficiency card, um, it, makes, it, it, it makes any deck better. Uh, but it's particularly good for a deck that is relying on Infernus to either um, break up combos, control some amber, or in some cases um, to kind of like craft your own deck. Sure. Um, like Infernus can, you know, is also sometimes used that way. Um, that makes sense. Uh, Nova's deck is, is an example of something that tends to purge out his own cards mm-hmm. in order to create something that is custom tailored to a particular match. Sure. Um, but uh, anyway, um, looking at, just looking at all the different Infernus decks out there, um, Kronos was a card that just felt like it made sense. Because um, again, it, it felt like one of those, it was a little bit like the befuddle kind of thing, where it's just like, well, so, well, first I'm going to find a really good disc pod that has lots of Infernus, and then I'll find a Logos pod that will make my disc pod more effective. Interesting. And, that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. and like, and, and a key ingredient to those Logos pods is Kronos. So that's so that's where that was. Okay, so jumping back then to the future knowledge 
and how that impacts the restricted list. That's why Time Traveler is still restricted. Ooh. Oh, I was going to ask about that. That's right. So Time Traveler is not actually the problematic card for Grim Reminders. The problematic card is Help from Future Self, which yep. always appears with Time Traveler. And the reason Help from Future Self is a, is a really powerful card in a Grim Reminders environment is because... It is one of only two cards in the entire game that lets you reshuffle your discard pile back into your deck. Totally. So do you know what the other card is that lets you do that? Grim Reminders. Something awesome and exciting that if we had an encyclopedic knowledge, we would know. No, no, no. no, The question is, like, there's one other old card that lets you reshuffle your discard pile back into your deck. Reverse time? No, it's Screaming Cave. Oh. Right? No. no. Screaming Cave does, though. Now no. you're having us real time research here. I love it. So the card I'm thinking of says, is bear flute. Oh, bear what? flute. Bear, bear flute. flute. Bear flute is the card that I'm thinking. Of. Oh, cool. Um, anyway, uh, bear flute does not need to be restricted. Uh, if, somebody, <laughs> if somebody can come up, it, it, I want to see somebody show up with a bear flute deck that completely wrecks grim reminders decks. That oh my god, awesome. love it. Um, so okay, so is it because it, is it restricted because it could be a legacy in Grim Reminders, or is it how it goes against Grim Reminders? Um, so it's it is just the it's. I felt it was. I felt that should be restricted because it gives you a lot of control over whether or not you are haunted. Oh, mm. I see. So, so of course, time traveler decks have no mechanics that benefit from being haunted. Right. But being haunted but being haunted can be a huge liability against certain Grim Reminders decks. Interesting. Yep, that's a good point. And so, like, so if you're so if you're facing off against Geistoids that are going to be purging your discard pile, mm-hmm. you might be really glad to have help from Future Self that will get rid of your <laughs> discard pile. So or that, Dark Heart of the Forest, or there's so um, much. Right. So that was the reason. That was really the main reason why. I left Time Traveler on the list. Time Traveler itself is fine. It's it's not it's a good card, but it's not overly powerful. But that the effect on help from future self. I mean, I, we are the best. I, just saying. I think is uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's I get it. And Time Traveler is a popular card. So if you're looking at it from that standpoint, like people are more likely to play Time Traveler than they are to play Bear Flute or a Screaming Cave. Yeah. I mean, Bear Flute gonna make a comeback. Come on, or, or a, <laughs> a and its emergence onto the scene. I don't think it was ever on the scene to make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean. We're talking about help from future self, so I, f- I feel like we should just end right now and go go into our titular segment. But first, I just had one one question to to end with. Has there ever been a consideration to actually have a banned card, or is that not something you ever want to do? I don't think that we need to do that. Ooh, okay. Um, I mean, sure. It. I mean, could it come up at some point in the future? Maybe, but I mean, so far, I've I've never really seen the need to ban any one particular. So what you're saying is Halifest could become banned is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Halifest is fine. It's strong, but it does not deserve to be banned in my opinion. Fair. Okay. Fair. All right. Um, So I think on that note, we cannot end an episode without our titular segment. And we call this one help from future self. self. Michael, do you have a help for future self based on going through this process and maybe something else in creating this great game of Keyforge that you'd like to impart onto our listeners? Sure. So the one of the big takeaways that I took from 2023 was um, uh, Sealed Alliance is a really good format and a really popular format, and I did not fully appreciate how good it was or anticipate how popular it was going to be. Um, when, when we were developing the Alliance uh, format, we were not using sealed decks. We were using our own collection. Um, and so it was, you know, and so it was, I mean, as we were putting that format together, we were like, you know, this could also work really well with sealed. And like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that probably would work really well. And that was about as, as far as we took that particular thought. Um, wow. But then, like, at, you know, but then at every event, you know, people who were, like, talking about, like, how good Sealed Alliance was and how much they liked it and how, like, this is the best way to play Sealed. And, yeah, I, I admit that I did not fully appreciate that at the time. And, and um, 
that's what I would tell myself to go back in 2023 and make Steel the Alliance more of a thing. So I, I noticed that on Vault Tours, it was generally a Friday night thing. Is there is there a chance that we could see it become like a, a, a main event, like a Saturday main event thing that exists? Is that a possibility? Main event, yes. Uh, whether or not it happens on Saturday, I, 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 I don't, I can't say that for sure. Okay. Uh, but yes, it will be a main event. Week-long Keyforge events. Come on. We're talking about like whole vacations here. Oh my goodness, that is yes. a, that is a thought. <laughs> okay, um, thank you so much, Michael. Um, if people want to reach out to you, what is the best way that they they can come at you with any any thoughts or, or feelings about what you've just released? Um, so I am on Discord. Um, my Discord handle is M A U G L I R. So I can be contacted that way. Um, you can also just uh, send an email to info at Ghost Galaxy. And our robots will make sure that it gets redirected to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and if you if you go on our discard and come at Michael too aggressively, I'm I'm not afraid to enact slow mode. Just know that people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Sydney, where can people find you? I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord, and I wanted to thank you again, Michael. This has been absolutely wonderful. I'm super excited for this year of Keyforge. I'm super excited for every year of Keyforge, but this has just gotten me so ready to start building new alliances, and I'm already thinking of all the crazy things that I can do with Bear Flute. Like, this is going to be great. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Well, thank, thank you for you. having me. It's been a been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Uh, it's been great. And of course, I, I just, when I say that people are going to be coming at you, I think this is a very thoughtful list that's very well put together. And um, because my, my deck I had planned is no longer valid, I think I'm going to put all my eggs into my, my Grim Reminders Alliance building. And you can't do anything to touch that now. So and that's where, that's where <laughs> uh, I'm going with this. I Yeah, I would. I think you should look at Grim Reminders and... Uh, current writers is going to be great. Uh, I'm really happy with the way that set turned out. And yes, I would encourage everybody to buy lots of Grim Reminders decks and build <laughs> good alliances. With oh, them. you better believe it. Oh yeah, that's that's my goal for 2024. So uh, thank you so much, everyone. You can find me on Discord as well on the Help from Future Self. You can ping me there and um, check out my YouTube as well if you want to see some new stuff and some hot takes I have for this year. Um, shortly uh, after this was released or previously uh, I had a why Lorcana doesn't matter to Keyforge vi uh, video recently. So check out that. And as always, Archons, stay forging. Yeah.